0: I hear the local store. You're
1: listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns, right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network
2: and
3: PSN Radio.
1: Hi, everybody. We are your co-hosts. That's me. I am Bill. And here is Nancy.
0: Hello. And welcome, welcome. Okay, Bill's going to (laughs) continue. Go (laughs) ahead.
1: And we're talking to you live from Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Celebrity Village, Pennsylvania, on Future Theater, on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. And who's on the line with us? Chris is on the line with us, right? Yes, Chris is filling in
0: for Angel, and we give a a big shout-out to Angel. Um, Thank you. And we are going tonight to be talking to james right james e clarkson james e clarkson and it's going to be pretty interesting because you know chris and i were talking earlier um about the real deals in the ufo field and the kind of frauds and i can as far as the eye can see that james is the real deal and that's what makes it so much fun you can ask him anything right he's not defending An indefensible thing and he doesn't say well it's in the book well
1: i want to hear about the gene crane story okay now you
0: better get off speaker right this minute it's it's cute that you would try that (sighs) on top of all the other troubles you don't have the you just cannot do speaker okay
1: Always oh, too far away. That's the problem. Well, I'm just hoping this phone holds up because well, I'm hoping um, too. I'm, I'm going to, going to hunch the back of the second floor as I hunch <laughs> over this.
0: <laughs> You're such a slacker. What kind of person would have a radio show? This is our 286th show, and I well, spent. You tell me why the landline went down because I don't. The know. landline went down tonight, and I spent all day perfecting this. I even called Keith. I just really didn't want to bother Keith, and I called him, and he helped me immensely. And then there's this fellow, Danny. Danny's been a really big help, Danny Benton. You know who you are. And there's a fellow named Benjamin. What a great guy. He helped me with moving, working with this thing called Loopback. I can only tell you, everything worked perfectly. And then I did something, of course, and it all fell apart. So now tonight, we're on the headset, little Microsoft Life Chat. It's always there if you need it for a radio show. And Danny, I think, um, no, let's say Danny is not, Danny is in the chat. And you, Chris, are on a similar headset, right? Mm-hmm. And poor mm-hmm. Bill is stuck on a cell phone because even the landline broke tonight. Mm. So, um, but we tested earlier. Um, Chris can 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 tell you we tested with James and it was marvelous. Okay, yeah, marvelous. And even even Shu Sheehan just he just shamed you, Bill, for being one speaker.
3: Why would you do that?
0: Just why? I'm shamed by everybody. You should be. You should be ashamed. So anyway, so yeah. So tonight before James comes on, um, and he's going to talk about three important, three different things, three things. One is. Uh, the McMinnville UFO Festival, which is actually called, I'm, I'm getting it wrong. on If you go to futuretheater.com, you will see many new things.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah go there. Because you'll see uh, the live call-in number, which is different because it's a long story. I'm not using Angel Skype. I'm using my Skype. And I had to reinstate my number. <coughs> and all the live links are there. So you can hear it's a ton of the show, including the number. I'll give it in a minute great talk so
1: anyway um that was a call if you go to the website you will meet um James Clarkson and you meet um and you'll get the updates on what will be the McMinnville
2: okay it's called the
0: Urchery. Mc it's called the <coughs> the McMahonon McManon minimums
2: right yep and, and in in all, yep and McMenamins are a are all what they are is they're all uh, old like uh, buildings that were uh, uh, historical buildings that they turned into little uh, pubs and um, restaurants and they own a variety of them all through Oregon here and they're uh, – Matter of fact, my cousin is a manager at one up there, uh-huh. and yep, yeah, and um, they're really popular. And so they have one at the, I guess at the Mission. Uh, Theater, which is real popular up in Portland, where they actually play. It was at one point in time it was an opera house, and they had turned it into a, a, a movie theater or whatever. And mm. they play what they do is they play secondhand movies so that have been out at the movie theater for you know for months or whatever for a while. And you can go and see like double features at least back then when yeah, I yeah, but like, um, really cheap and they serve alcohol and beer past five o'clock. You yeah, know, be twenty one to go in, and it's really fun. And I guess now that they're they're doing. Uh earlier he talked about UFO um conferences and stuff there at that mission museum. So
0: Well what he mentioned was it's they have a thing him. called they have a thing there at the museum, I guess, called the Paranormal Cafe. Which sounds yeah. really cool. And they must give it must be like a like a hipster or a beatnik kind of bar where you or place where you go and you, you give a talk basically, and people come and listen, it sounds really, really, really cool. And I wanted to ask you before James comes on, I don't want to, I don't want to offend James, I don't think maybe it won't offend him. But with the advent of legalizing pot, has that affected any of these venues? Do they now have little smoking rooms on on um, in like restaurants or anything?
2: No, they don't. Uh, all of it here is, is still kind of within, um, you can't do it in public. There are no public areas or anything like that. Um, well, if you all decided to want to go around the corner in the garage or, you know, whatever, and kind of be inconspicuous about it and, and sit there and light up a bowl, yeah, okay, that you could get away with. Um, but to sit and to light up like in a building or, or a public building or anything that would be in a, in a room or anything, um, no, they, they, uh, they don't. Well, so.
0: so they so there's no – well, actually, my daughter told me, I believe by the summer, um, they the restaurant-type places, the cafes, the little coffee houses, yeah. had to jump through hoops.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: More hoops than is normal, and so they'll be ready come, say, the summer. And that's another reason why, you know, I'd love to do a visit, because supposedly, you know, you'll be able to go to a bake shop if you don't want to smoke something and just get – muffins and things wow yeah oh you yeah know?
2: oh yeah that's 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 for sure a lot of that and um, tinctures and yeah. things like that that people can do and um, that's that's what i would recommend if i was going to be doing any edibles would be the tincture well process. i can't
0: wait you know i'd love to do a you know a, uh, r- a reporter on the spot <laughs> i've now i've now stepped off the plane in oregon oh, <laughs> <all right. laughs> yeah so you know the future um, but tonight, I wanted to talk to both you guys um, about the X-Files. Did you see it, Chris, tonight?
2: No. I'm uh, three hours behind you. So it's will oh. set on my DVR, oh, and it will start up.
0: It's uh,
1: not on yet for um, another hour.
2: Mm-hmm, so ah. I got, uh, yeah, I got uh, 52 minutes that it's going to be on here, and then uh, I will turn in and watch.
0: Well, we're not going to do spoilers, um but you I can spoil me anyway
2: cuz if I watch it if I even get to it it's not a big deal if you want to go ahead and lay well, it. Well one of
0: there. the themes of the show um this this
2: There's other people I know.
0: Right. Well this particular show number 5 or number 6? 6? Six? 6. Yeah, I think well it's is the last? right. The last and one it's now. um it's a mirror a bookend to the first show of course, right? Um right. the first it, it basically this is Scully's quest for her son and you know it's it's got a very 2001 type ending in which it's open ended and you know okay, yeah, okay but in the course of the show one of the plot lines is that the elite have found a way to basically wreck the dna of anybody they want to which is like everybody but themselves and they will depopulate the planet that way and um and whether it's done, but but if you have a cold like I've got right now, and I'm getting over it, but really, it, it's a cold. And when 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 one of these bad colds and coughing things comes upon you as a person, it's up to God and your state of health and God how sick you're going to get. Because there's no, it it just kind of rolls over you. You don't have a lot of choice. You know, you could chew vitamin C all you want, but there's a point at which it started the the you know the 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 roller and you're gonna you're, you're gonna go but uh, so that's kind of what the show was about tonight and it was kind of I just wanted to say weird watching it while having a coughing fit or two because everybody else is you know and it's a really I think it's a good plot line um, it's the best thing about the show I thought the plot line instead of say the Mulder and Scully or the new couple Einstein and like Miller yeah Einstein, uh, Miller and Einstein. yeah Ah, I think Crystal just shows, she just showed up in the chat room. I wanted to say to Crystal, I I feel so bad. I not only could not help you on Wednesday, I literally could not even, and I understand you did a fabulous show, and I am so sorry I missed it. And, you know, I got sicker and sicker on Wednesday, and it was like, no way I was going to be even, you know, um, the headphones wouldn't fit around my head. It was very stuffed. So, so, yeah. Okay. So, uh, topics. I've run. I've just. I haven't run out, but I'm just giving Bill a chance.
1: I I had something, but I forgot what it was.
0: Well, I wanted to mention to you just in passing, and also mention to the folks. Eh, I'm, it's something I should say with James. But there is a his the book he's written is called um, June Crane. Okay, it's Tell My Story. Let me find it here, with the exact title. Um, um, it's under, it, it's um, When you go on the website, you'll see it. Nice picture and stuff. It's called Tell My Story, June Crane. There's another June Crane in ufology, okay? Hmm. And she's an entirely different person from an entirely different storyline. And I should probably leave it for when James is on. Because when I heard it on the radio, because James was on uh, Midnight with Heather uh, uh, at the beginning of February, and um, when I heard June Crane, I thought, oh, no. But it's not that June Crane, it's this June Crane, and it's an amazing story. So just Mm -hmm. anybody who knows the Danny Burrish story, June Crane is Danny's mom. Okay, do you know the, uh, the Burrish story? i'm actually not
2: familiar with it no i was just gonna say hmm
0: okay um um it's one of the ones that kind of got pretty heavily debunked to the point where it's not talked about too much except by the people who really believe it and once george knapp really put the kibosh on it that was kind of the end of it but june Uh, crane is um you know she's uh, a supporter of her son, of course. And so that's a whole different story. It's, you know, my Danny is telling the truth. Mm-hmm. His name is Dan Burrish. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right,
1: mm-hmm. His name was Dan Crane, but he changed his last name because you get mad. It's, it's a crazy story.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it's all about, you know, um, it, well, it's about the secret, 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 the people who get let uh, let into the super secret group. You know, and they have—they literally right. have and secret also, handshakes and yeah. stuff.
1: Yeah, and, 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 and in a way, it is tangentially related to what's going on in these bookended episodes of X Files.
0: Oh, by the way, let me give the call-in number. Why the heck not? Let's see if it works. I have no idea if it's going to work. Um, by all that's good and holy, it should. Uh, it is 215. It's the old Bella Haven number, ironically enough. Um, because I let it lapse when, when uh, Bella Haven was finished. And when I went to get a new number, it, they kept it. So I re... Because I liked it. It's a cute number, um, if numbers can be cute. And it's 215 488 It's kind of easy to remember and say. And um, 70- I 70... Almost, I almost memorized it. And um, I can't give you the angel number because that will have to be when angel makes... The Skype call. Long story. Technical stuff. Technical yes, stuff. Very technical. Technical stuff. Yeah. And so yeah. So. Well, they do.
2: You know, they just finished up with the UFO uh, uh, conferences down in uh, Arizona this last weekend too, and uh, don't uh, didn't know anybody than myself.
1: The UFO though, Con- was that The UFO Congress. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. There we go. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yep. Man, that's been well the fantastic.
0: thing is um it's it, you're at the stage where you wouldn't mind speaking at some of these and we would or bill would mind terribly so he, he tries to you know he pretty much doesn't do it yeah. he doesn't get asked he does not get asked like a crazy person but when he does get asked he kind of doesn't do it anymore so you yeah. know you know um I really am
2: just here with for for the Oregon one really to be in McMinnville here that's that's just kind of you know my thing of to me to go around of all these other places like like I don't want to be be sounding rude or anything like a pack full of carnies uh, but you know I, I just kind of like to kind of do the Oregon one here and maybe keep it at that but I mean I guess if I had chances to go speaking around in other places it would be fine I but that takes money and you know? I don't have money and yeah, I want to bring the whole family, you know? They want to all come along. Right. So.
1: Yeah, part of the problem is that there really is a kind of a carnival atmosphere about it. Mm-hmm. And even though there's some real good information that gets um, gets disseminated, that there really is kind of on the edge. But it's a form of entertainment. Yeah. Entertainment. Sure. Well,
0: I, before we leave the subject entirely of colds and the crud and all that, uh, and since we've got Chris on the line, Chris um, mentioned to me... When I was begging, anybody I could beg, does anybody know how to stop like a, a runaway cough, a hack, 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 and you, and you kind of can't stop? And Chris said there is a drug called benzonotato, benzonotato, it looks like, right? I Well, that would probably be the the Spanish name for it, yeah.
2: But they're called Teflon pearls is what they're called here yes, in, in yes, America. Yes, let, let me look that and, up again. They're wonderful. They're just will take what you got there. Those deep down coughs where you just you can't get it out of you, like at night when you you get going, and they'll just subdue it. And so I went, and they charged me seventeen dollars with my my insurance plan and everything when I went there for for, or or seventeen of them for thirty seven dollars, right? Even with my insurance. So when I went down to Mexico last year at this time. Uh, first thing I did is I went in there and, and my mom was getting all her, her prescriptions, you know, she has to take for her hormones and stuff. But uh, anyway, so I went and uh, just asked them and sure enough, they had it for $2.50 for uh, a pack of, uh, I, I believe it was, 40 of them wow. and so i yeah so i bought i bought two boxes for five bucks and my mom did and i brought them home and and they're really powerful they're they're 100 you can take pound.
1: you can take pharmaceuticals over the border now
2: yeah you could take as long as you have if they aren't any prescription like if you have pain pills or something like that yeah you would have to have a um so, yeah you would have to have a, a prescription from one of the
1: dentists so it's only over has. the counter things you can just bring back without yeah a yeah Yeah, but
0: here's what i don't understand when i look this up uh in the wiki it's a non-narcotic oral cough suppressant Mm -hmm. um it is not an opioid uh so it's not it's not as prone to abuse like some other cough medicines such as codeine and so um why would such a thing that's non-narcotic be a prescription drug and the other things across the counter but anyway, I'm I'm definitely gonna look into this and so I wanted to um so it's it's spelled B E N Z O N A T A T E Benza. And if you look there that you up J Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And so anybody else who's suffering from this thing, I figure throw everything everything at it. Um I'm telling you, uh there's an old wives recipe called it's like Seven Thieves Brew. And I suck that stuff down. Thieves, what is it called? Well, old
2: old recipe moonshine, too. Uh, Grandpa's old cop medicine will probably take care of it. But well, that's you know. another. This is
0: called thieves vinegar. And I, uh, you know, I'm sucking this down. This is, uh, this, according to the old-timey the old people, when the plague was going around, uh, a group of thieves weren't dying, you know. In order to steal from the bodies, you have to not catch the plague. Otherwise, your plans are of no use. And so they would, um, they would cover their faces with this stuff. This is basically that incredible apple cider vinegar that everybody who likes health food stuff uh, raves about. It's in all the health food stores. There's a lot of
2: health benefits to apple cider vinegar. Yeah,
0: and this this is, um, and then you throw other stuff, and you can throw oregano in, or you can throw in uh, garlic or whatever you want, sage. Honey, um, I did. I threw in what I had uh, with the idea. Did lemon. do You put lemon in it mm-hmm. too? Yeah. And, yeah. But the point is, it's got to be the apple cider. That's the base. And then yeah. you throw in some other things. But like, if you had a brain, you'd throw in sage, rosemary, thyme, things that are antiseptic by nature. And then you might be a little better. But, yeah. um, uh, you know, and this, it, it, it's very humbling because when you're really sick, you just lose all your enthusiasm for everything. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I I I send out prayers for anybody who's sick. It's, it's a full-time job all by itself, you know, being sick. I don't understand why they put us in such fragile packages, such big brains, you know. We can write, every one of us right now can think about the other end of the universe. Boomp. And yet our bot, I mean, you get paper cuts. I just don't. I just don't get the joke. And you only get a few years. My goodness. Yeah. Just saying. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'll question the woman who went to the White House uh, uh, the other day. The hundred woman who was dancing in the Oval Office. What do you mean? Well, this 106-year-old woman. Uh, I mean, imagine in 1910. And she... During the Jim Crow era, black people really had to suffer for voting rights, and they were really before the civil rights. Movement. But she was
0: 106, and she's dancing? And she was
1: 106. And so Barack Obama invited her to the White House. Nice. Because she really had to meet her and congratulate her, and she was astounded. I mean, the, uh, the big shock to, to her, under the six-year-old woman, who's dancing and up on her feet, and she's walking with a cane, She's dancing with Michelle Obama, but the big shock to her, this is, this is what's astounding, I, nobody picked up on the news. She grew up in the area, in the era of Jim Crow and the segregated South, and here she is at 106 years old, and she said, I'm staring at a black president. And she is so inordinate. She's just exuberantly happy. For that reason.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I know that the news had toned it down, but you can imagine for her mm-hmm. the absolute excitement of what she got to see in her lifetime.
0: Fabulous. Well, you know, I know people right now, all the listeners who are listening, just that most people seem to hate Hillary Clinton. I don't hate her at all. I think she's a very nice person. Who knows? I never met her. I don't know her from Adam. But if a woman were to get become president... It would be fun to find the oldest suffragette who in fact could shake hands with the first woman president. It's a similar right, kind that of would a be
1: fabulous. Yeah. That would be fabulous.
0: Yeah. Because uh I believe women only got the vote. I should know the exact date. Let me just when did the women get the vote? I will check it as we speak. I'll check it for
1: you right now. Now let's see if let's vote. see if
0: chat comes through with it first. Because chat is like on fire. So when did women? Yeah. Fifteenth or seventeenth amendment. Mm. Nineteen twenty. Nineteen twenty. Wow. Wow. Mm. Oh, I yeah. Wow. My mother was born in the nineteen twenties. Mm-hmm. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. And and of course, my mother was a literally a Rosie the Riveter. She she had a job in one of those factories. Uh, when the men came back, you know, she lost it, and she loved it. Oh, she loved it. You know
1: right and that 's another reason why that 's another reason why I really would love to see Hillary win the presidency it 's that it would be it would be under a, it would take a hundred years from the time women got the vote yeah. to a woman occupying the other office
0: mm-hmm. yeah and and I knew there was a trend because when I was a reporter a long time ago one of my beats was to report on local politics. And local politics was in the process of changing from all men to more and more and more women at the very lowest levels. Because women just love to get together and organize stuff. And to be doing it for a cause bigger than a bake sale or a school, you're doing it for your county, your state. And women, once they got in and started to, you know, socialize and organize, they never really left. And And Hillary is literally uh, a nerd, you know, a a policy wonk. Um, When people say she'd be, like, for example, Angel, who's quite feisty, I must say, in chat, um, um, he says knee-jerkingly Hillary should be in prison. Well, that's just craziness when you think about it. Just craziness to say that kind of, oh, by the way, um, here's another question. I'll say it and send it to everybody. We started to watch Deadpool last night. And have no idea what's going yes, on. Somebody, please tell us what the hell Deadpool's about. Is it the weirdest movie ever made? Um, is the character that Ryan, whatever his name is, is playing Reynolds? Uh-huh. No, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, so I don't get it. Um, Chris, you
2: it's don't know that I've not seen it yet. You know, I would go and take, uh, go the, but I, but it's a rated R, so I got yeah. Do not rate.
0: take your kids. Yeah. It seems because, my goodness, I mean, really and truly, how many ways do you want your kids to see people getting killed in the course of a, of a, a simple entertainment? It, whether it's Vikings or Game of Thrones or Deadpool, it's... Oh, by the way, I started reading that book, Okay, Game of Thrones. <laughs> you know, I didn't mm. fall on my face. Well, why?
1: Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Um, starts out in the first volume, first book. It's a story. I mean, uh, What's-His-Face does a great job in bringing you right into the middle of the action. That's great. Mm -hmm. I had thought, given what I saw on the series, that there was a modicum of an attempt to be slightly archaic in the language of the narrative itself. And there is. It's a very, very um, strained way. In writing a historical novel myself, I'm trying not to be strained. But it's a very, it was a very, very strained way of trying to work in archaic words for things like...
0: Okay, wait, um, are, wait, wait, stop for a second. Are you wondering about... No, I'm right here. Okay, because you're coming in and out, just for what it's worth. Okay, maybe I was moving my hand too much. Yeah, because your so sound anyway. is the most fragile, and people want to hear you the most, and I'm getting okay. the most complaints about your sound because people want to hear what you have to say. And we will, okay, ha- well, we anyway. will fix this, guys. This will be fixed. Yeah, I don't
1: know why the, I don't know why the uh, landline is out. We would have done the landline otherwise. Yeah. okay, so um it's actually coming up on the bottom of the hour. Look That's at your right studio. oh no, you're downstairs. Um, look at your clock. It's going on the bottom of the hour.
0: not yet. we've got so, four, we've got four more minutes and we're not doing commercials. I will put them in um pretty soon. I mean, this is crazy. I was listening to Michael Mott, for example. um, um he's got such a professional sounding show, and he you know he's doing it all correctly, so I will have to I, I'm going to have to eventually shape up here. I will I'm very casual about this because I'm more interested in saying hello to everybody every Monday and seeing what's happening and all that, and then the mm-hmm. you know hitting it at the commercial breaks and stuff will come later. Um, no, I think I think um, yeah, we're not going to talk about politics too much because everybody gets mad, and that's crazy. Right. That's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean the fact is, um, I just don't understand why after you know we've been we've been digging out of a hole for eight years, why we'd want to go back in the hole. That's the basic it because the Republicans are they're they're dead set against changing anything. They want the status quo and it only to be more statusy and more quo-y, You know. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, that reminds me. Before we're before we're finished. We're watching the very best thing I've seen in ages, and it's the O.J. Simpson trial, People oh, yeah, versus O.J. Good. My goodness, Cuba Gooding Jr. Lots and lots of uh, Travolta. He's a good
1: actor. I love yeah. Cuba Gooding
2: Jr.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, great. well, what's so funny? Well, what's so funny to me is seeing um, the uh, Rob Morrow from Northern Exposure and from Numbers playing the attorney Barry Sheck, and he's. Barry Sheck in a kind of quasi-nevish way. I'm sure he's going to rise during the trial. Because no, but that's Barry how Sheck. Barry
0: Sheck was. Barry Sheck was an effeminate alpha male, if, a, if such a thing exists. He wore his hair sort of longish and he was real soft, and all the well, other he guys was cute. were. That was the whole point with the, you know, with the cute hair. Yeah. 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 And so anyway, that's so how he you
1: know, Morrow. But to the contrast of seeing Rob Morrow as Barry Sheck, and Rob Morrow as Don X, the FBI agent in Numbers. It's very funny to see because the Barry Sheck character is closer to his character in Northern Exposure.
0: Right. But then also for anybody that ever saw Friends, um, or the best thing, let's say the best thing about the series, is you see the hatching, you see the little nest, and you see the little dinosaur eggs hatching of the Kardashian phenomenon
1: yeah, fascinating, fascinating, fascinating you, you see that it's like rising up out of the fetid swamp of reality television,
0: yeah, well, I mean, you just see it, you see their their eyes light up when their their father is suddenly recognized, and it's we of course, bill and I lived there through with this, and we did a book. Uh, hmm. it, was an, it was called Juice, and it, we did it with the National Enquirer, or no, with the, Globe, the Globe. Globe newspaper. And we did it in one week, made a paperback book in one week. This is 1994, right? Long right. before. It was an instant book? Instant Out book,
1: before yeah. before every other instant book on the O.J. Simpson trial.
0: Mm-hmm. And as
1: a result, I had to cover the trial. Uh, downtown um at the LA County Courthouse on right and,
0: and and the Canadian television show did a special on the O.J. Simpson case and they featured Bill and they called Bill a a cell phone with legs because we were living in Tina Louise's house at the at the time and Bill was pacing around her pool talking talking up deals doing stuff during this whole era because Deals were flying fast and loose, and you know we got a we got a uh, a paperback novel deal, which was really good, and so forth. Cool. Right? Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to now, with no further ado, I'm going to bring into the conversation our friend James. He says we can call him James, and okay. he's standing by, and I'm going to do that now. You guys can. Do, 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 okay, well, I will,
1: do, I, will do our, I will do our station break as if we're doing a station break, which we're actually not going to do, mm-hmm. but the station break would be for everybody who's going to be listening to this in, um, in the rerun, downloading it tomorrow morning. The station break is, we are your co-hosts, Bill and Nancy Burns, with our friend Chris Brown, who's producing us tonight, and we will be back with our guest, James Clarkson, talking about who was who was the um, state director of a uh, state of Washington move on. We'll be back with him after these messages. You're listening to Future Theater on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. See, that's
0: a good idea. Mm-hmm.
1: We'll be back with James.
0: Right, and really, if we were doing that, we would then have a minute or two of commercials, but I think James is here already. Are you here, James? Good. I am. Yeah. Hey, hey, there you are, James. I am here. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. So (laughs) we're back on Future Theater. We are back
1: on Future Theater live with our guest, James Clarkson, who's joining Chris Brown, Nancy, and me. Thank you for joining us, James.
3: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Can we... Wait. I'll just have just one quick
1: quick geography question, and then then I will let you uh, introduce James. Um, I wanted to ask you... In your, um, were you in the criminal investigation division for the attorney general of the state of Washington?
3: No. Were you an
1: investigator in the state of Washington?
3: Yes. I worked, you know, Bob. Oh, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. I worked for the Washington state department of licensing and I worked in the, uh, the division that they, it was kind of the odd place. They didn't know what where else to put it. Uh, The Department of Licensing does driver's licenses and license plates mostly, but they also take care of all professional business licenses. And so I was a fraud investigator, mainly in the field of security guards, bail bondsmen, uh, bounty hunters, and private investigators. Wow.
0: Rough guys,
1: right? and, (laughs) uh, And in your travels in the state of Washington, Did you cross paths
3: with uh, Robert Keppel? Oh, Robert Keppel. There's one of my heroes. Many years ago, when I was still a police officer, in fact, when I was detective sergeant with the Aberdeen, Washington police, this would have been somewhere between 93 and 97. I took a criminal investigation class from him. It was kind of like detective basic. Right. Uh, I took that class up in Seattle and he was the head instructor.
1: Right. Yes, that's Bob Keppel. Bob Keppel and I wrote the book, The Riverman, about the hunt for Ted Bundy and how Gary Ridgway, um, how that hunt for Ted Bundy was basically built into the story of the hunt for the riverman, the Green River Killer, Gary Ridgway, and how. Um, they were going down to Florida, Dave Reichert and Bob Keppel, who was the chief consultant to the King County Police in the Green River investigation, how they went down to Florida to interview Bundy about tactics to use to find the Green River killer. And that report went to the FBI, and the FBI showed that report to Thomas Harris, and that became the book Silence of the Lambs, as well as our book, The Riverman*,
3: which became the movie. What an amazing connection! I've I read that book a long time ago. Boy, this is a strange wow. collection of circles. Well, this is really <laughs> cool.
2: You guys got a real connection here happening. That's fantastic. Yeah, and so and so
1: uh, and so Bob Keppel, we've done one, two, three, four books together. Two of them were academic reference books. Two of them were trade uh, signature killers and Riverman. But Riverman was in two editions the 1996 or 97 edition and the 2003 edition after Guy Ridgway was actually caught. And the, uh, the funny thing was in tonight's... In tonight's... X-Files. X-Files yeah, I knew you were going to go there. Um, Scully has to use a certain technique to take a tiny bit of her DNA and um, keep on reproducing it so she has to use PCR which was the Kerry um, uh, um, the, uh, the Mullis Nobel award-winning um, duplication of DNA. And that's how they finally identified Gary Ridgway all the way back at the beginning of the millennium, because they had a small sample of DNA from one of the Green River Killer's victims that they couldn't test until finally they, the, uh, the PCR duplication test was available and they they were able to use that to pick up Gary Ridgway's DNA, and that's how they knew that the suspect they'd been interested in for years was the real killer.
0: Wow. Mm. Wow. I love it. Well, do you know, um, James was on uh, Midnight in the Desert with Heather Wade Mm. uh, at the beginning of February, and last Friday, just FYI, On open lines, I believe it was last Friday, there was a lady who called in who had been picked up and taken in the car by Bundy. And, you know, he, I think the way she described the story was that he got really mad. Something went wrong with the car and he started beating on it or something. And she realized, My God, he's got a terrible temper and she kind of raced off and didn't go back with him but then she found out she knew about the Volkswagen and found out who it was over time. And I just wondered if you guys had um interviewed this woman. Her name Escapes it, Me. How? No. No. Uh I did think I do think I wrote it down, but 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 we're veering way away from McM- no, but, but, and the, yeah, fe- the and the festival. Fun.
1: Yeah. Right, but, I mean, there were victims. There were a few. There, was, uh, there were a couple of victims at, at Lake Sammamish, which is where Ted Bundy first popped. wasn't Ted Bundy, but a character called Ted, first popped up on the radar of the King County Police because those girls, Janice Ott and somebody else, had disappeared, and a couple of the girls said that when Bundy, um, that they were actually going with him to pick up to um, help him because he had this cast on his arm. And he had a problem with the roof rack on his VW. Well, it was a fake problem. But yes, he, he, he had a very vicious temper when the girls saw that. Um, uh, they basically mm-hmm. walked away and there was another girl who said that Bundy had a strange look in his eye and she would not go with him. But he was bouncing off these young girls, well young, they were in their 19s and 20s, in these young girls at Lake Sammamish and he actually managed to abduct a couple and um, it was though he was trolling in a pond that day in Lake Sammamish and that's how he came to the attention of the King County Police. This well, would have been ni- in the 1970s.
0: Um, James, in your bio, it mentions that you have a lifelong interest in UFOs. Uh, can, we, can we ask why a lifetime interest?
3: I guess because I was really little when I first became interested in them. And unfortunately, people are always thinking, aha, he must have had some great sighting event. Right. Uh, Unfortunately, that is my great regret. I find myself frequently envious of the witnesses that I interview. I have just been compelled by the power of the evidence and by the entire subject. From a very young age, I was captivated by science fiction of course, due to my age, one of the, uh, I guess, seminal movies that affected me more than any other, it was The Day the Earth Stood Still, mm. the original version <laughs> with Michael Rennie, Sam Jaffe, etc., which I still think is one of the greatest pieces of sci-fi ever done.
0: Well, how old were you when you saw it for the first time?
3: No, oh, I couldn't. I was born in 1951, which is the year that the movie came out. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm guessing I must have been five or six at least, before I was really aware. Mm
0: -hmm. I always
3: gravitated towards science fiction. My specific interest in UFOs, though, stems directly from a radio program. Ah. And I remember it very specifically. It was KGO Radio in San Francisco, and an author named John G. Fuller
0: Mm -hmm. was was being
3: interviewed, and he had just come out with his then new book, which was Incident at Exeter. Okay, right. And and it's so interesting that it was this particular book about that particular incident, because actually if you query Peter Davenport from the National UFO Reporting Center, that was the first case that he got sent out on mm-hmm. as a young reporter.
0: And can you and, very quickly let us know what that is? Because I'm bl- totally blank. I know I've heard of it. Okay,
3: it's Exeter, New Hampshire, and I want to say that it was in 66 or 67. Mm. It's Betty and Barney. No, it's not Betty and Barney. It's Mm. close. It um, involved policemen, numerous local witnesses, ongoing sightings of a particular uh, craft, and I, be- I believe, I'm just quickly checking here, I think it was 1965. Okay. But what got to me so much was there's this one particular incident where the officers are on duty in the town, they find mm-hmm. a woman in her car, the woman is pale, she's in shock, she starts describing how this huge disc craft with scintillating red lights mm-hmm. going around its rim, cascade lighting, chased her down the highway (laughs) until she finally got into town and it went away. So the officers are pretty, you know, thinking this is pretty odd. And Mm. about that time they call in and the desk sergeant says, you better get in here because we have another witness. Wow. They get in there and they, they find this hitchhiker who had gone to the police station and they decide they're going to drive him. The one officer is going to drive him back to where he saw this UFO They pull into this driveway at this farmhouse. Nothing is happening except that all at once the animals go berserk. Mm -hmm. The entire area is illuminated in crimson light. And here is exactly the same disc that this woman had described. Uh, Almost 50 feet across, Mm -hmm. scintillating red lights. It comes down so low that the officer shoves the witness down drops to one knee, and starts to draw his revolver at the same moment that the backup officer is jumping out of his car, sees Mm -hmm. what's happening, and he screams, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Wow. So the officer decides not to fire, of course,
0: Mm -hmm.
3: fortunately. Well, the upshot of that is that the Air Force says that this is all a big mistake and that they were doing some aerial refueling. And interestingly enough, the officer who almost tried to shoot the UFO
0: Mm -hmm.
3: was an Air Force veteran. Wow. And yet, of course, the Air Force's explanation, that's the one that gets plastered all over the media. That's the one that everybody is supposed to believe. I was totally captivated. And so this kind of set Mm. two parallel themes in my life. Right. And even though I grew up in the 60s in the San Francisco Bay Area I ended up coming back around to law enforcement Mm -hmm. so I I always had these two directions in my life I always wanted to know more about UFOs so I collected magazine articles books I watched movies anything I could get right and at the same time I eventually ended up doing a career in law enforcement so these 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 have been
0: the two directions of my life and you don't feel that there's a conflict? No. Um, we have, um, there's a fellow, well, uh, there's a fellow named J- James Sanders, okay, and he has written um, a bestseller about the, the flight, the TWA 500, 800, TWA, that was shot down, that the one that was on its way to Paris in New York yes. City. Uh, but way, way before that, Bill can tell it better, he was a policeman- I think for Seal Beach, in in California, right? Right. And do you remember enough about his sighting that was so astounding? With
1: another, I mean, he was in. Yeah, he was. He was in a unit. um, He was, and he was simply doing his normal patrol. He was. um, He he wound up becoming the Seal uh, Seal Beach Police Department's uh, a crash investigator, but before that. He was on patrol, and he uh, saw, I'm trying to recapture the image, he saw this, this was at the beach, he saw this disc, a craft, on the ground, and there were small figures near it, and it was right by a power line, and he said it seemed to be, it seemed to be drawing power from the power line.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, there I go. He saw it, he reported it. And he was just so upset, and he just filed it away, and there's something else I'm not going to talk about,
0: Bob. Well, that's why I brought it up, because his experience was that, and that's why I want to ask you, James, if what happens if you see something, and you would you follow protocol and report it?
3: Well, I was never put in that position, mm. except that uh, when I became a policeman in 1979, I will, admittedly, it took me about six or seven years before I uh, I sort of came out of the UFO closet and I admitted <laughs> to my fellow officers <laughs> uh-huh. that I was interested in UFOs. And after we got past a barrage of jokes and even some great practical jokes, wow. because cops are great at practical joking. They, they have it down to a science. Yeah. So I, I gave as good as I got. And pretty soon, nobody wanted to argue with me about it. And like happens almost everywhere. That's another reason I could never give UFOs up because I don't care what the group is. If you can get UFOs going in the conversation Mm -hmm. and then just step back, Mm -hmm. you will find one or more people in the group who have either had an experience themselves Mm -hmm. or someone
0: they know and trust has. Yes, absolutely. Exactly right. Yeah, and there's there's, too much smoke. Well, now a fire. There's a fellow named Harold Burt, and he was a member of MUFON down in San Diego area sand, San something area and he we worked with him and we put a book together he put a book together called flying saucers 101 because he contended that if you would wear like a ufo magazine hat or the you know i believe i want to believe on a t-shirt or something that people just will open up to you and really um he i don't think he has seen yes he and his wife did see something but it, yeah. it almost gives you more credence If you haven't seen something, because I've never seen anything and I really feel like that keeps me objective at least.
3: I think it's very important to remain objective because if we are ever going to make this mainstream, we're going to have to keep it objective. And of course, this, this irritates some of my compatriots Mm -hmm. who, you know, because then of course we launch off into the abduction question. Mm Mm-hmm. And which cases are real and which cases aren't. Right. And, you know, are we helping people with, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder from contact with aliens or are we providing free street corner psychiatry? Right no,
0: or I, are we conning people? Are we making that up? Too. S- yeah, and that's important. So are we being know, conned? Well, right. Well, like take take the conference that we were talking about at the beginning of the show. It's it's the, we call it the McMinnville um, conference UFO conference, but it's really named after McMannamans, but it's all the same. You'll find it, and it relates to the Trent. Story is Trent the name of the story? Yeah, Paul Trenton.
1: Yeah, Mr. Mrs. Trent. uh, It was Paul Trent who took a series of photos, very famous photos. Those photos, probably along with uh, Rex Hepland, were like the two of the best sets of photos of UFOs. Mm -hmm.
0: Way before, thank God, Photoshop. And in fact, I would I would encourage everyone who hears this message, start keeping old magazines and things if you're capable of not making a mess of yourself keep what you can because when you go back into something that's locked in print it's really a great way to double check some double talk and some disinformation that goes around the internet twice before you can even pull out an old magazine and say well okay and in fact speaking of which when we ran a story uh in a special issue of UFO magazine you James Clarkson wrote to me do you remember this I do Uh, remember some of it. Okay, this is about um, uh, your book, June Crane, okay? Right. And it's because we did a whole uh, cover story, one of our best issues on, let me find it here now, uh, the Magruder story, the guy from the war college who was taken in to see aliens.
3: Ah, Blackjack Magruder. Yes, yes. Yeah, Black and, Mac Magruder. Yeah, Black, Black Mac. Mac that's Ma-
0: it. Yeah, Black Mac. And you were wondering if perhaps okay. That let me if I'm trying to look. I'm looking for your letter right now. I can't believe I've lost it. I can't uh, believe I still have it. <laughs> well, yes. Sometimes, sometimes here it is. Okay. Now you said that this is 2009. I know. <laughs> um, I don't know. When you get reach a certain age, it all kind of mushes together. You know yesterday i I, I
3: understand the effect yes
0: (laughs) yeah but so you keep stuff so here's what you were wondering uh maybe you could tell folks about this um june crane was an elderly woman she you met her at a talk that you were giving okay and she gave me a photograph of an on-base wedding on wright patterson air force base and she identified a man in the photo as clarence does this ring bells? oh i know this i know all about that's a key part of the story okay and she could not remember his last name. She believes he was a master sergeant, um, the same one who related to her uh, and others. Uh, that he had, he had brought in, he had just flown in from New Mexico,
3: and that his cargo was wreckage and bodies.
0: Oh. And,
3: so,
1: he and, B, so he would have been the B-29 pilot. I, I, I'm not sure of his name. I, I could find it in a second, now, but I'll be able to put that on the phone.
3: But we um, want to um, say it's he, Clarence here. Well, he would have been a member of the crew. We're not saying, we're not saying that he was the pilot. He was we're the pilot, he,
1: right. He was a member was the of the 29 crew, right. So who was on that crew that flew the materiel from Walker Field to um, Fort Hood? Precisely. Not Fort Hood. Fort,
3: right. Right Field. Right Field.
0: Right. And so the – but the possible connection that was the long shot – would be if anyone in Grutter's family knew any of the people he flew with. Now that part I didn't understand.
3: Yeah, I was just hoping. This was a long shot, but I mm-hmm. I was always fascinated by that story because it's such an amazing story. You know, why would anybody with his, you know, stellar military record ever talk about UFOs, the way he evidently did at the end well, he, of, towards the end of his life.
1: Well, what he did, how it started, was first of all he didn't spe- he wasn't specifically what he was read in to UFOs because he was in that National Air, War, Air College class, Air War College class of 1948, but so he was read in on that basis because that entire class went to Wright Field for, um, it was a key why uh, they went to Wright Field where they saw the material from Roswell. But, and then in 1952, he was picked up in a, a military vehicle, a car, um, during the July, during the two successive weekends in July, 1952, when UFOs, um, invaded Washington airspace. So he was taken to the Pentagon. But how this all started um, a decade, a de- over a decade later, almost two decades later, was his youngest son, he had said nothing about this to his children. He had like three or four children. He had said nothing about this. In fact, when he left the Marine Corps, he became a, a very successful businessman. He was... A franchise holder for uh, at McDonald's throughout the Southwest. So I mean, he became a very successful business guy. But when he was still in the military, um, he did go to the Pentagon on the night of the UFO incursions on those two weekends. But in 1969, he and his youngest son were watching the moonwalk, the first moon. And according to his youngest son, he said to his father, "Gee, I wonder if there are any other." People out there—it was very exciting. And Magluder turned to his son and said, "All I can tell you is, yes, there are. I saw one, and that's the last time I'm going to talk about it." Wow! And that—and that was the clue. But then, as he got older, he was—he would reveal more and more until he told the entire story of seeing this creature. The, we call it the live alien. Seeing this creature through um, a separation at right Field, and he said the creature communicated with him, and the creature said to him, they're conducting tests on me, and they're killing me. And one of the last things that Magruder said, it so affected his life, and one of the last things that Magruder said before he died was it was a very shameful thing they did to that creature, because that creature was also a creature of God. That those were among his final words about it to his children.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and and also the the uh, word wiggly, I think we used. Yes, the wiggly.
1: Well, well he just de- he described it as squiggly, right?
0: Squiggly, and that was kind squiggly. of a profoundly unusual word for a grown man, you know, to use about a creature, unless that's you know a part we just didn't know about. Squiggly, his hmm. limbs were squiggly. Um, I also wanted to ask, um, James. You kind of mentioned in, in this afternoon that there is a new news story coming. Maybe it's not a news story, but the Vancouver, Washington one.
3: Well, I'm I'm still in process of working on that, but I got an email from a very important witness who gave me one of the better UFO cases that I've ever investigated back in 2014. In fact, it's listed as one of MUFON's best 10 for okay. 2014. And the interesting thing was that this man had searched me out on the Internet because he wanted to disclose to someone, and he was looking for somebody who knew something about law enforcement mm-hmm. and who also knew something about UFOs, and he decided, I think correctly,
0: that I was the right person. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now, uh, you've had your website for a while, which we've linked up. Have, uh, did you have it in 2014? Did he? Oh, yes. <laughs> he contacted you there. Yeah, it, it is a, it's a minefield. Um, I would say to folks wanting to go to conferences, we've talked about, you know, this wonderful one. A really good rule of thumb is if you get a feeling that the person is only talking to you to get you to part with some money. Okay, if you if that becomes really paramount in the conversation, then you could kind of step back and say, maybe this person isn't the person I should spend my time with. And um, the fun part about the real people in the field—they're exciting. They love to be corrected. Um, if you can add to the story and say, you know, I found this out, they're happy about it. Um, the people who are the con artists kind of really don't like anybody mixing in with their story. You know, because they're not going to be able to defend it very well. You know, just public service gonna, well, announcement.
1: Was, well, James, tell me about this case you're investigating then that this person contacted you about.
3: Well, it's it's already completed, but the, uh, the basic part of it was early in July, and I believe that it was July 2nd. I'd have to pull up the file to give you all the particulars, and it was about... Probably seven to eight days later that he contacted me. But this individual was on duty in downtown Vancouver, Washington, early in July. The weather was excellent. It's broad daylight. It's the middle of the day. This, uh, I cannot identify his agency. And Hmm. I've met him in person and spent a couple of hours talking to him directly. We've exchanged emails. I know who he is. Hmm. But I promised, I haven't even told MUFON who he is. Mm, well, well okay. it would it might cost the man his job, and I'm not going to do that. Right, okay, so what, what, what happened? He saw from inside of a car, looking out through an open window towards the Columbia River,
0: mm-hmm.
3: he sees a disc-shaped metallic aircraft. He said it was about the size of a dime if you held a dime out at arm's length. He saw it go across the sky. And so he's describing this to me, and he said... As he put it, he said, I desperately hoped that I was going to see propellers, jet engines, mm-hmm. wings, or anything conventional. This man also has a background in the military. He's been around military aircraft extensively, so he knows what to look for. This had none of it. He told me, he even described how as it tilted, he could see that it was a solid object because the reflection of the sun on it changed There was shading underneath it. Mm. And then he tells me, but that's not the weird part. And I said, well, please. (laughs) He said, it reached, it got about three quarters of the way across the sky, and it was as if there was a vertical line drawn in the air. And as this craft crossed the line, it vanished. Mm -hmm. There was a slight rippling effect, and then it was gone. Wow. There was no noise. Within 30 seconds, here comes an F-15, most probably from the Oregon Air National Guard, because they have F-15s at the Portland International Airport. And it shot across the sky. Well, because going in the same direction. Well, based upon how quickly I had gotten this report, based upon the credibility of mm-hmm. this witness, right. I mean, when you read his statement, I never had it so good from a witness. I mean, he wrote me mm-hmm. a, a police report about what he saw.
0: Yeah, wow, well, okay.
3: You don't get it that good ever. Yeah, exactly. Well, I contacted Bill Puckett from UFOs Northwest because he retired from, uh, I think, NOAA. He's had a lot of experience with radar and aviation. Yeah, and he's their that. radar guy, yes. I, I so, know Bill very well. He's their radar guy, yeah. He's He's a wonderful, dedicated researcher. And I think he just had his birthday, as a matter of fact. But I asked him if he would do a FOIA request for radar data, and we got it. And the weird part is we have several returns of something solid in the air with no transponder in the general area of the sky at the right date, time, and location where this UFO disappeared. We also have the F-15 going directly along the path shortly thereafter. So short of actually bringing in a UFO on the back of a truck, this is pretty much as good as it gets most of the time. I have an A number one rock solid witness, broad daylight. I have a structured vehicle. I have high strangeness in the way it disappears. I have a military pursuit and radar confirmation. (laughs)
0: <laughs> what could do you know did the, uh, did, the, did the observer tell you how fast each looked to be going in comparison to the other?
3: He said that the disc was moving very fast across the sky, but probably similar to you know the jet. Mm-hmm. This is all going on like boom boom, right in front of him.
0: But does it sound like the thing disappeared as though it were going into an envelope? You know, or either around the corner.
3: Either it was cloaking itself, oh, or yeah. it was taking a shortcut somewhere else. Wow, interesting. It, it was just gone. He did did not see it again.
0: Well, have and, you had subsequent? And what did the jet do? Kept going. Huh. That's all they can do. <laughs> yeah, and he couldn't.
3: In you know, it it got out of his it got out of the witness's field of view, and the witness could not leave his post. And have you spoken mm-hmm. to this witness more than once? Multiple times, in fact, I just got another email from him today. Um, he has, as he put it put it to me, I've run into this before on some of my best cases. Hmm. His whole notion of reality has been changed. That's what I wondered. yeah, that's why I asked. And, and the first thing that happened was he wanted a lot of good solid UFO information in a hurry. Uh-huh, okay or it's like, he said, what do you consider? To be good sources of UFO information, mm-hmm.
0: and this was his very first sighting. I take it.
3: Yes, he had no prior experience, no yeah. knowledge. Of this he doesn't watch the shows. He doesn't, you know, I mean, he doesn't know anything about UFOs. Yeah,
0: we, yeah. we're going to need as a as a community, a UFO community, to come up with what our ten best stories are, and then our twenty best, and just keep lining them lining them up so people can choose <clears throat> their poison if they want to get interested in this topic, because uh, the Vancouver story you just mentioned is shocking. Um, every story, and then of course we, I do want to do more with uh, about June, um, but it's really hard to imagine that your observer, for example, is making it all up because suddenly his important job isn't fun enough. I guess you know. And
2: I was going to ask James: Is is um, were you going to enter him in the monthly uh, Mufon Journal, or has that case already been entered?
3: It's already been entered. It was oh, okay. one of the Alrighty. when they published uh, the top ten
0: for 2014.
3: Yeah, I think it was number eight or nine, something like that. Okay. Oh, okay. All right.
0: But okay for 2014 because sometimes we sometimes these things don't get uncovered, and they kind of you know they happened, uh, but they they sort of don't reach like Aztec has suddenly reached um, a, a higher level of uh, recognition. Yeah, and but they it did has. Have a-
2: I did have a question in chat too. I was going to ask it's right, from go ahead. American Road Warrior. His question was: Is do saucers tilt like helicopters? Hmm. That was his question to you, James.
3: Tilt like helicopters? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the, well, I would say probably not, because yeah. obviously uh, we have no evidence that these craft are dependent upon regular aerodynamic flight. In other words, with a uh, with the helicopter, you're changing the angle of the blades to achieve a different effect in the air. Yeah. And, and we have no evidence that the saucers, the, whatever these craft are, that they need to do that at all. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem to make any difference. And I would say most especially the triangles. In other words, they can hover, they can go off at a radical angle. You know, mm-hmm. they, do, they don't turn or maneuver the way that these other craft do. They right. do, however, have reported, I have had a lot of reports, and I think we've all heard this, that there is a fluttering motion sometimes.
0: Like a leaf, yes. like a leaf coming down. In other words, so it's almost
3: like they're floating in water or something and they, they tilt just a little bit here and or
0: there. They're, or they're sort of like pumping the gravity pumping yeah. the shadow.
3: Well, yeah, that's that's you know to get
2: quick into mine as you know with, we had the encounter with with the orb in front of us and it was the bubble that was bending that, that around the the sphere that was spinning and it was that that was controlling the propulsion and the way that that the sphere was moving around so when it when when people say floating uh you know definitely I mean obviously I couldn't see any bubble around the on the craft I had 11 nights before but I'm assuming they all work the way. I mean, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the gravity around it and the bin space, sure. But um, mm-hmm. that was definitely uh, so the floating, I get the floating back and forth for sure, you know, like with the spinning around the craft, sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
3: okay. I, that, so-
0: that means an angel has just walked through the room. If you're Catholic, that's what. And now that I've known Angel, that's terrifying. But that's what Catholics believe when there's a sudden silence in a room. Uh, <laughs> even, even on the radio. They, they always say, well, an angel just walked through. So, just... Well, let's turn to,
1: to a June Crane story, because that's, that's
0: one of the... I mean, that's the
1: sort of the book, and that's a fascinating story. That's it's right. Cer- it
3: certainly is.
0: Okay, so you guys... Uh, so, the lady on the picture, the picture on the cover... Is June Crane right when she was?
3: Yes, and then that picture I believe actually was taken in 1947.
0: Okay, and what was her job about then?
3: Well, she... she had a she kept being promoted. She worked at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base three different times between 1942 and 1952. Her employment was broken by uh, one time by illness and finally by pregnancy by pregnancy and then at the very end th- this is what is sort of the heartbreaking side of the whole story and it really deals with women's issues the heart uh, of it
0: well was- <laughs> she
3: had to quit her job that she totally loved because her husband had gotten out of the military he was one of the security policemen and he didn't want to stay around Ohio anymore, Mm -hmm. and I think he also didn't want her Mm -hmm. to have a more important job than what his was.
0: Right. Typical. It was sad. Yeah, and that's and that's and yeah, and that's why, in a nutshell, I think it. I I, you know, I want to hand the presidency to a woman. Period. Just you know, for for past wrongs, I know it. I know the world doesn't work that way, but it will be fun. Do do we really want to go there? (laughs) I know. I know. But 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 the photo is so great because she looks like the kind of woman who will just tell you the truth no matter what. And, and it got
3: more so because mm-hmm. in 1993 when I met her, she approached me after I do a lot of public outreach and I do it through library talks. Okay. And you you meet wonderful people. You I just think it's really fun. Mm-hmm. So I I do it a lot. I've done it for many years. And this very stern looking woman approached me afterwards and said, you're right. The government knows all about UFOs and they're keeping it a secret. Wow. I said, well, how do you know? And she said, I worked there. And And this is in Washington state, right? This is in Washington state out in a town called ocean shores Mm -hmm. out on the coast of Southwest Washington. And so she, you know, she wouldn't tell me anything. And in fact, I gave her a business card, and i I, I could just tell, mm. you know, you know as a police officer, you p- get a pretty good idea after a while who's being really serious and who isn't. And it was obvious to me that this woman was deadly serious, right? So I gave her a card, and then I did a little digging, and I found out that she was a pillar in the community. She was the elderly lady that nobody wanted to mess with, and yet she led all of the charity drives. She got money to build a new library. She was always uh, involved in some sort of civic controversy. There were some people in town who were supposedly connected with the mob, and there Mm -hmm. was a, a famous incident where she had actually called out one of these people in public. (laughs) You know, this elderly woman goes up to this mobster and basically puts him in his place. Well, But that's what June was like. And in fact, my wife, I wasn't married to her then, but she she knew June because my wife was the children's librarian for the uh, regional library system. Oh, okay, nice. And and she knew June. And like she told me later on, she said June was the last person in the world Mm -hmm. that she would have thought would have had a serious UFO story. Wow, But it turned out there was this whole other side to her, and it wasn't until four years later, and I actually, I get to thank the Air Force and CNN <laughs> and the Roswell cover-up for giving me the June Crane story. Why, without, do you, why?
0: why? Why do you say that? Without their
3: help, it would have never happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, why?
3: 1997, we have two key events. March 13, 1997, we have the Phoenix Lights. Okay. Right. July 4th weekend coming up 1997, we had the 50th anniversary of Roswell mm-hmm. and of course I think the X-Files was in full bloom then. I mean the public yeah. was
0: tuned And we had up. the the day after Roswell was the first UFO book ever to be on the front page of the New York Times when it first came out. Front wow. page, above the cover, above the fold because Strom Thurmond had given a um forward to it and that became on july 4th or so became front page news on the new york times and then it went on to become a bestseller for 14 weeks
3: so i I that was a big deal yeah the secret keepers were panic stricken that year Mm -hmm. they were having a really bad year and they had to do something about it and what they did was they published that thing called roswell case closed
0: Mm -hmm.
3: right and it of course got Maximum coverage on CNN. So I have not heard from June in four years. My phone rings at home. It's hmm. June on the phone. I instantly knew who it was. And she
0: starts off. She doesn't even say hello. She says, it's a damn lie. <laughs> so how, I, how, how, what year was she born or how old is she now when, when she's calling you?
3: Well, let's see. Uh, she passed on the next year. So let's see, she was born Sem- in... She was about 71. Okay.
0: Because okay. the elderly part's beginning to hurt hurt mm-hmm. in, a, in a personal way. So, uh, so what did she say to you?
3: I, asked, I said, well, good to hear from you, June. And she starts telling me, she said, have you been watching CNN? And I said, yes. And she said, that's the same lie that we used to tell the public about UFOs when I worked there. Mm-hmm. And she started going on and on. And I said, now, June... I said, you told me before that you didn't want to talk to me because you said they would come and get you. I said, "What? what is different now? Mm. Well, and she said something I never forgot. She said, I think, yes, well, actually, she said, I'm 72 years old. I've outlived two husbands, and my cancer's in remission. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do, shoot me or put me in prison? I can do either one. Wow. Well, I wasn't born yesterday, so... I said, how soon can I be at your house? Mm, wow. And I was at a strange, kind of a strange place in my life. My uh, my wife and I, we had been together and broke up and been together, and, and we finally got married, and we've been happily married ever since. But we were not together then. Mm-hmm. I was working swing shift as a patrol sergeant, and June, fortunately, was a night owl. Mm-hmm. So I would get off duty, change into civvies, and drive about 30-some miles— to get to June's house out at the beach, and we would sit up half the night telling each other our life stories. Wow. And she dragged out this briefcase that she had filled with her papers from when she worked at Wright Field, and it showed all of her promotions and uh, some commendations that she received, Mm -hmm. and she gave me that photograph that was on the front cover.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: And what was her job at Wright Field? Well, she was basically a clerk stenographer, but that's deceptive. Mm. A woman could not have a there was no job for a woman office manager in that period of time. Mm. She was a civilian employee. She worked directly for a Fulbird colonel and one of her main jobs was to log information in and out of a series of safes. Because you gotta remember this is an all paper environment. There's no internet. There's no computers. In her office, they typed on typewriters, mm-hmm. and when they went home at night, everything that they had written on, including the typewriter ribbon, had to be secured in a safe. Wow. Because she yeah. was the top secret projects. So basically, because she had the right security clearance, and she's around all these scientists and engineers, and she's a, you know, an attractive young woman tall etc um in an all male environment mm-hmm. men talk around women you know i mean that's happened all the dawn of right. time
0: right mm-hmm. women can just kind of fade into the background and men just don't see them and so, you aren't going to get anywhere if you don't talk around them that's for sure oh. <laughs> but wait before before you go on james did she um Did she herself type anything that was content related or did she only log in and log out this this stuff? she,
3: She typed things. She worked on reports. She also said that back then, if you sent them a letter, this is back before, you know, they could respond in mass to things. And if you sent them a letter and reported a UFO, somebody had to actually type out a letter back to you. Right. So they would, part of her job was, you know, She had this whole thing that she rattled off. It was like boilerplate, you Uh know, based upon existing engineering technology, the object that you described uh, is not possible, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right, right. And so that's why she was laughing. She said, we used to use, she said, we used to tell people that they were weather
0: balloons. Mm -hmm. She said, they've been using the same lie for years. But why was her job top secret if UFOs don't exist? If that's the story, why would even uh, batting away some crazy person who's asking you questions, why would that bother to be top secret? Because she
3: was multitasked. And, you know, I can't specifically answer about the UFOs, but I can tell you for certain that some of the things she worked on were definitely top secret. Mm -hmm. In particular, she talked about something called Project Caucasian that was extremely sensitive. And at the time that I first disclosed the June story to the UFO community, which was back around 2000, mm-hmm. nobody knew what Project Caucasian was. I talked What to was f- it? It turned out a few years later, it was declassified. It was the code name for the development of a parachute harness to hold a hydrogen bomb to be dropped out of a B-36 bomber. Hmm. And June knew a lot about the whole parachute business because some of the scientists in, she was actually assigned to the parachute division. And I learned that there was a lot more to designing parachutes than you might think, especially if you're dropping heavy cargos. She mentioned a guy named, she kept saying, Kanaki wrote the Bible on parachutes. And I didn't get anywhere with that for a few years Mm -hmm. until, until I ended up meeting Uh, Bob Wood and Ryan Wood. And we ended up at a special gathering down at Newport Beach. And there was a gentleman there who agreed to help me, but I, I was not allowed to ever mention his name. And he sent me magazines, technical publications from within the Air Force, basically proving that this guy, it's now, again, this has now become fairly common knowledge, but Walter Kanaki was a parachute engineer who came to the United States after World War II under the provisions of Project Paperclip. Mm-hmm. And some of those people were at Wright field. And interestingly enough, when I first met June, the first thing that we ever talked about was that she was absolutely convinced that she had taken a special interview from Werner von Braun. A te- she had to do a technical dictation where she had to type it out and it had to be letter perfect. Mm -hmm. She described how difficult it was because the man only spoke broken English. And this would have been at a point which Werner von Braun, you'll never find this in his biographies, during the period of time when um, he was not a great hero, but an involuntary guest Mm -hmm. of the United States government. Mm -hmm. And, And June kept, June herself showed me the books on Werner von Braun, and I've read a couple more, and you won't find it. And she said she was certain that that was the man she took the dictation from. But and what
0: did, she, what did she type up about him that you won't find
3: elsewhere? Well,
0: it, it was a report, and
3: interestingly enough, this goes right to the heart of who June was, and it, it's one of my favorite recollections of her. Mm-hmm. Because she told me this story two or three times, and every time she told it, she started crying oh. and she would tell me about how she this military officer came and got her and said that she had a special assignment she had to stay late it had to be letter-perfect and she couldn't go home until it was done wow. she okay. this officer took her to this german scientist and she kept saying the man had such cold eyes hmm. and he dictated all of this material to her and. When she was all done, this, arm, this, Air, this Air Force officer told her, said, June, what you've done tonight may be more important than you realize, because that letter is going to be given to a special committee of Congress, and if we get that money, this will be the foundation of the United States Space program. space program. Wow. Whenever June yeah. told that story, she would start crying, and this this is so much at the heart of everything, because it broke her heart not to go on with her employment. She was so proud and patriotic mm-hmm. for the work that she had done for the U.S. government, and she was also equally very, very angry because they lied about UFOs. Wow. And of, cu- of course, yeah. those. Those of us who have dug into the history of ufology, we know that a lot of our best witnesses had this same kind of dilemma, like most especially Jesse Marcel, Mm -hmm. whose life was torn apart, his family's life was torn apart Mm -hmm. because he had to carry the burden of this terrible truth. Yeah. And, And yet he was
0: a military officer, so he couldn't disclose it. Right, but even June, as a citizen, can't disclose it. You're kind of stuck with this knowledge, and you I can't. I don't think
3: she cared anymore. I think she she told me that her cancer was in remission, but unfortunately, she died about a year later. So I always wondered how much it was really in remission.
0: Mm-hmm. Well,
2: and what year was that that she died? Nineteen ninety-eight. Nineteen
3: ninety-eight. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, ago, huh? uh, she the, uh, yeah, she died. Yeah, uh, she she died the same
0: year as Phil Corso and uh, Black and uh, Marion Magruder. Well, could we? You know, I don't want to hijack the story, but I am curious. Did she ever comment on the Corso material to no. you? No, I would love no. to have had her opinion because she would know. Because you know, you were talking about the uh, magazines about the parachutes, um, the the internal magazines and stuff. Right, right. Well, that's that's in the Corso boxes, which we still have, are tons and tons of things like that. And I always wondered, personally, was he 100% truthful? Was he disinformation, so therefore 50-50? Was he simply making everything up, or what? And I wonder, because those same magazines are, you know, I still have all the paperwork, that he he gave us boxes of stuff that went along with his story. Um, because basically putting it together was not his forte, you know, organization and stuff like that. Um, which many times happens. Just, I'm sure with, with June, how did the work, how did the book come about? Who did, who did what in, in the, in, in Tell My Story?
3: What do you mean? How'd the book come about?
0: Well, yeah. In other words, did, did, did June, uh, dictate or write any portions of no. the book? No.
3: No. What happened was I took an awful lot of notes. Mm-hmm. She eventually gave me all of her personal papers. I independently corroborated all of it by getting a copy of her civilian personnel record from St. Louis. That was a funny story in itself. Yeah. And the other thing that I did was that I, you know, I tried to research every single. Every time she would give me a detail, I would try to run with it.
0: Right. Yeah. We did and, the same thing with the Corsa story. We tried. Oh. And, and, and of course,
3: you reach this point where, as we almost inevitably do, where there's so many things that you can verify positively, but then the key things that you would really like to verify, I couldn't. But I got her on tape for mm-hmm. some key interviews. I tape-recorded her. Okay. And-, and, and that was kind of a, you know, she told me that the tape recorder didn't bother her, but it was obvious that it did. Mm-hmm. And because she was trying very hard to be very careful. That's one of the things I loved about her was she would tell you if she didn't know or didn't remember. And I, you know, obviously, when you're in the business of interviewing witnesses, I really like it when people tell me that they're not totally sure about something. Mm -hmm. Because that means they're human and probably that they're trying to be honest. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, did she ever express any fear to you um, as she began to tell The story.
3: I mean, that they would come after
0: her? Yeah, even though she said, I'm in remission and I'm old, did she still look over her shoulder?
3: No. This was not a woman who looked over her shoulder. I really, really, no. I think that would have been a, that you know, if somebody had been sent to take her, that could have been a pretty ugly scene unless they were really, uh, you know, really took charge. Yeah. She was tough.
0: And what was the St. Louis story? Well, it was just that I
3: did the, uh, I requested a copy of her records. And like so many other researchers, they kept telling me that they couldn't find the record. There was no such person. I kept coming back at them and saying, you know, here's a copy showing that she worked there. This is her social security number. I want to know, you know, I want a copy of her record. Finally, obviously, somebody gave up. Because I just got this big, thick envelope mm. in the mail that had everything in it, and of course I had half of those documents anyway because I had the originals. Right. But it was just one more way of corroborating what Cor- she told yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I, I eventually decided I need I needed to write a book about this because it it knowing her changed my life and it basically opened the world of UFO research to me and. When she was dying in a nursing home, the last time that I talked to her, I said, what do you want me to do, June? Mm -hmm. And she said, tell my story. And so I said, I'll do it. And I just sold a copy of my book to a researcher in India. It's the first time that that story has gone that far.
0: Nice, nice. Well, by the way, um, you want to get on the website and fix when you click... When you go to your book page and you click the Amazon stuff, it's not working. So that's just one more I hassle. Better
3: my, I better get my daughter on that. She's, uh, yeah. She's back east working for a different company, and I'll, I'll make I'll have her go in and check it out. Thank you for telling me that.
0: Yeah, just a little note. She'll be able to fix it in two seconds. Um, sometimes the Amazon things change, et cetera. The whole e-book business is shockingly more complicated than it should be. Yes. But but, you know, thanks thanks to people like yourself. Now you uh did you publish your books um with a publisher or did you self publish? I'm self published. I used the the local printer and Ah. the fact that when
3: I disabled out of the police department, they sent me to college for a year and I took every a computer class I could find, most especially Mm -hmm. Microsoft Word. Smart.
0: Smart I, I learned
3: I learned how to set up a template with the gut you have to do guttering because you know your margin has to be wider towards the binding Mm -hmm. and I learned about all those kind of things and I talked to the printer who was very helpful and he said the more work you do the less I charge you that's right that's
0: right that was yeah so
3: it worked really well I designed the cover uh using Microsoft publisher using her documents and pictures and things to create a montage and so I'm very happy that that is as close to everything I know about June as there is. I did add one more chapter. Uh, I revised it and came out with a new edition because there was one other story that I did not include in the original book. And I, after, after I had that adventure that I told you about earlier with the gentleman in Vancouver, Washington, right. I decided I should include June's UFO sighting that oh. occurred on October 31st of 1975 when she lived in Portland, Oregon. Uh-huh. Mm. And so I decided, you know, it wouldn't be fair if if they're seeing that kind of blatant UFO activity down there,
0: mm-hmm. it's
3: not fair to withhold June's UFO sighting. Yeah. So I added it to the book.
0: Well, can we uh, do that? We're going to do a pretend break right now. I want to uh, just get up and stretch for about a, two minutes. If this were... If I had my setup properly set up, I would say to you, we're going to take a quick break for two minutes. And if you have to grab some water or, you know, cough, um, or, you know, like one minute and Bill will, Bill will say we're coming right back and then, and then, so we're going to do a pretend break if that's okay. Okay, Because I, I, I do have to get up and mm-hmm. stretch my legs. And I so, will take a
3: uh, two minute break myself.
0: Okay, so whoever stays on, um, mm. uh, what about yourself, Chris? Are you sticking I'll around? I'll be here. Okay, so um, just notice, by the way, that uh, again, Oregon—it's okay. like a hotbed of stuff. So we'll pick up with with that sighting on the other side, and so, um, um, so, so anyway, stay with us,
1: folks. We are Bill and Nancy Burns on Future Theater Live with our guest James Clarkson. Uh, our producer Chris Brown is here,
0: and we. Hey, I'm the producer. UFO uh, sighting and. Excuse me, I'm the producer tonight. Oh, I thought Chris was. I'm sorry. No, that's why so, it's such a mess. No offense. So Nancy's the producer. <laughs> I'm the producer,
1: uh, and we'll be right back. We have some messages, and uh, we'll be right back with our guest after this. So stay with us. It's we like a pup. It's like a puppet show on the Dark Matter <laughs> Digital Network and PSN Radio. Back after this.
0: There you go. It's yeah. it's pretend it's pretend uh, professionalism, and. Um, You know, another thing I would love to do is go back and make available, when we talk about something like the Magruder uh, article, I'd love to be able to make that available to anybody, you know, by a link right there on the old website. But it requires going back and reminding myself to do that. And I might. I might. Like, wouldn't that be fun? Mm -hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I... um I'm really enjoying the show. Yeah, this. so much to say, and I and and I love being the familiarity of him being uh, from Washington and me being here in Oregon. So,
0: yeah, I mean you've got it's like and a I was local... born in Portland. Right? Ah, mm-hmm. you're a a native son. I am. Yeah, I am sorry about uh, I am sorry about. Um... Oh, you know that I saw I saw your little doggy bean. <laughs> on facebook when i was there with well, his yoda a, ears well there's a photo saying i ate my father's dinner
2: yeah that my one, dad's too. dinner yeah and now he has the yoda ears if you've seen the newest one that i posted today that was where we took him to the groomer and she oh. had these uh, uh um hand uh little woven ones that she had made uh, whatever yoda ears of, right crochet of, uh, maybe or crochet, something crochet that's what i'm trying to say yeah crochet and, and so he's got him on and and that was this little get-up that we used at the uh, dog show there in town that he won ah yeah they had a little dog show when um
0: d- have do you dress him up i mean okay are you going to the McMinnon thing yourself
2: i am going to do that this year i've got that worked out with Keith the ROEL well to spend some time at the Mufon desk and see what i can do there okay yeah, yeah.
0: and that are you going to bring like fun.
3: Yeah, uh, James, and it is,
2: I really am excited, and I hope we, we can maybe meet James and talk. Oh, you know? I'm
3: sure we will. I'm going to be the Master of Ceremonies this year. Oh, oh.
0: yeah. Fabulous. You'll be really good. I know. Really what a good. great gig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're going to be great because you have a nice commanding warmth, you know. Thank but it's, you. But it's commanding, so it, it'll it'll shake them up. Let me get Bill to, <laughs> <laughs> let me get Bill to bring us back because we are back together. If, if Bill is back, let's see if he's there we are back now? Yeah, we're back.
1: Okay, did you stretch your legs?
0: I did. I got up and I jiggled around like Satchel Page says to do. <laughs> Seriously, Satchel okay, Page. Um, so here we go. Okay, go ahead. So you ready?
1: So mm-hmm. here we are. Well, we are back on Future Theater Live on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network with our guests James Clarkson and Chris Brown. And so... Let us get right back into it. So tell us about um, June's um, orbs. uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say orb, but tell us about Uh June's UFO sighting.
3: Well, it was 1975. She was attending a Halloween party. There were a large number of people. It was near, there is an island. It's not really an island in the Columbia River uh, off one side of Portland. And yeah, I'm that, trying, that
2: the island there could be. Uh, there's a Yucca
0: Island.
3: I'm trying and, to think of the name of it.
2: Um.
0: Uh. Oh, but why I'm is gonna... it an island, but not really an island? Uh, it's, it's not really separated. I
3: think they filled in the connection to the land.
0: Yeah. And well, they well, built a causeway. Central, basically, yeah. Yeah. there
3: was even. An, I I looked it up. There was actually even an airfield there a long time ago. Okay. But any event, June saw a large structured UFO. That rose up from the, This house was up on a height, looking down towards this island area and the river. And excuse me, it's Sophie Island. Is that it, Sophie Island? No, I'd okay, I'd, I'd have to go ahead and dig it I'm out. But dramatic. it uh, it scared it scared everybody at the party except her. And typical June, she was really proud of the fact that she thought that it was really awesome and really funny. That all these other people were hysterical, whereas for her, this was just a confirmation of wow. what she had heard about for years when she worked at Wright-Patterson. So, you know, she had this, like, really cool reaction to the whole thing.
0: Well, um, do you guys know a woman named Reagan Lee? Yes. Why
3: is that familiar? I well, know she's- Reagan
0: well, Reagan has a website called The Orange Orb, but she also has participated, <coughs> I think, at McMinnville. <coughs> but she's kind of known for putting orange orbs, the words, into the language. And she tells an amazing story about being at a party and they see something out the window. And she is not afraid. She knew she was going to be seeing this. And it's the story is so similar um huh. i wonder if both women were at the same party literally awesome well we, i have a year and a specific date okay well um you know reagan often listens to the show if not i'll i'll write to her and ask her to uh because she's been on the show i did a, few a times. show last week
2: with with reagan on um erica Luke's uh show uh ufo audit okay um, where
0: is that where can one find that
2: uh well she's actually moving now she was just doing it on um uh, blog radio I think it is but now she's going to be moving over to another network and I don't have the name I can't remember but uh that's uh, that's where I met Reagan and and um yeah she's um
0: Well what uh, okay so yeah we should check into that a bit mm-hmm. um yeah. just because Reagan might know more and um yeah so uh and and, to, and so you so, uh, uh, so she sees this this craft and what happens next
3: well, it that's that's there really isn't much else to it. It was just she admit she drew a diagram of it. She, you know, described it in detail. It was uh, almost it reminded me a lot of what Betty and Barney Hill reported. It looked to be two levels. It had windows. She wow. didn't say that she saw beings, but it had definite structural detail. And mm-hmm. it came. What it was came the shape? Your classic disc, like two okay. sh- two giant frisbees one, you know, stuck together and it had Mm -hmm. uh, windows or what looked to be windows. Yeah. Wow. And it was very, you know, illuminated and spectacular and it came in and flew by all these people and then it was gone. You know, that there are so many anecdotes that I got from her because we, we just talked about anything and everything. And she was, you know, she was very together and with it. But at the same time, she would get tired out and we'd have to take a break and we'd come back. And, you know, it was I I tried to keep it friendly and low key. I didn't Mm -hmm. want I didn't want her to ever think like I was interviewing her. And so. Right. My relationship with June, I have to admit, became more than just an investigator and a witness. She became a really good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And I'm really proud that I knew her and. Her, the effect of telling her story, has kind of made her into a mentor in my life, mm-hmm. because her story has opened so many doors to me that I don't think would have ever been opened.
1: Well, well what how, do you think what, was the most a crucial part of her work in the story she told at Wright
3: Field? Well, the the most the one that is most tangible is the one that she where she was a direct witness. I have always carefully described her as a key corroborating witness to the Mm -hmm. cover-up. That's that's true for 95% of what she described. However, there was one incident where an officer came up to her desk, and I'm quite sure that this man was flirting with her. Mm -hmm. And he reached into his pocket and pulled out a piece of metal and he invited June to tear it up. Hmm. And he, he said, take the scissors. I don't care what you do. See if you hmm. can cut it. Poke a hole in it. Hmm. And of course, this turned out to be the memory metal. And it was exactly the way it's been described. It was light as a feather, but you could not do any damage to it. You can't poke a hole in it. You can't cut it. If you fold it up into a, a little ball, it returns to its original shape. With no wrinkles or any indication that you've done anything to it. Mm -hmm. Well, after she described this to me, I jabbed her a little bit. I said, Mm -hmm. oh, come on, June. It's been 50 years. You know, you've seen all these miracle plastics and everything else. And she immediately put me back in my place. And she Mm -hmm. said, no, no, no. You don't understand. Nobody makes things like that. Mm -hmm. And so... What happened was this guy was asking her to tear up the metal. And about that time, another officer walked through the room. And he immediately grabbed it, stuck it in his pocket, and then pretended like they never had the conversation. Right, right. And
0: June started laughing, and she said, probably because he wasn't supposed to have it either. And did June tell you all this in sort of uh, on the tape recorder? Yes. Wow. And the the flirting guy wasn't Clarence, right? No, this is another officer. I think she told me that she tried to remember
3: what his name was, but I think it was something like Rose, Lieutenant Rose. Wow. So So
0: there's somebody else walking around with that stuff. Maybe.
3: I would think probably somebody is. I've always thought that somebody, Mm -hmm. the secrecy is never perfect, and somebody has got the goods.
0: Well, it doesn't have to be perfect if enough people laugh at us mm-hmm. and call yeah. this pathetic and just think it's funny, and it is funny and pathetic until I guess you have a sighting of your own, and then. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, James, the attitude of um, June and the attitude of your newer witness, the Washington guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you think it changes an intelligent, sensible person's world view? If it does. Or do you just put it out of your mind after a while? Well, I don't think you put it
3: out of your mind, but I mean, unless you're seeing UFOs constantly, uh, you have to go to work, the bills have to be paid, you have to go on. But in the case case of this gentleman who gave me my 2014 report, he's been watching the sky very carefully ever since. Mm -hmm. He's constantly writing to me and saying, you know, have you heard about anything new? Or what do you think about this? Or, you know, that kind of thing. We have this ongoing dialogue. Okay, I, uh, the
0: location, I just got an email uh, from someone named Larry. The location is Swan Island. That's it. Wow.
2: There you go, Swan Island. Yep.
0: That's Swan. Yep. Wow. Good catch. Good, yes, catch. good catch. Good
2: catch. job
0: yeah but also notice your 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 uh, the newer fellow the let's say the three letter agency guy whoever he is um he sounds obsessed a bit quite frankly
3: well i think he's become it's i wouldn't want to say obsessed <laughs> that <laughs> i has, know it has <laughs> bad connotations and especially and if you
0: carry a gun for i a i
3: I've met this gentleman and he is very very squared away mm-hmm You know, I mean, this is like a rock solid, good person, family guy, very responsible, takes his job very seriously, has better than average. He's obviously in excellent physical condition. As he told me, he said his eyesight is as good or better than normal. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: I mean, this is the guy you would want in a job like that.
0: Mm Mm-hmm making that kind of an observation and exactly. reporting it. Exactly. He can't yeah?
3: help he can't help what he saw.
0: Mm-hmm. He
3: didn't ask for it, he didn't really want it. It just was there.
0: Well, does he ha- does he express any fear at all that he better watch out for the government or men in black to come and get him?
3: No, oddly enough, we've had a good trust relationship. I mean, I've never told I I won't tell Mufan who he is. Um, and you know i i don't think uh i i don't think that they care about this sort of thing that much anymore i at
0: mufon or where where the i government. would think
3: i i don't get the impression in general i think they have the ufo phenomena sufficiently marginalized in the media that it's kind of relegated off into the entertainment industry and unless somebody dragged in a UFO or an alien...
1: Yeah that's, yeah, that's what I would think. Unless you show up with a UFO, you, um, even if you show up with some photos, if you show up with a UFO, maybe somebody would come down on your head. But other than that, I think they could care
3: less. And actually, you know, that's the smart play. Because if they ignore you and just let you, uh, you know, if you do go public, you get ground up in the media circus... Exactly, you know, and and you're pretty much taken care of. So you're they're actually better off to not pay any attention to you.
0: Also, there are people in the UFO field, I think, um, who are put into the field in order to make to to criticize and to nitpick and to try to bring down a story to see if you know, <coughs> like everybody says. Let's light the torch and get that guy. And, and if everybody follows the person, um, then you've destroyed another reputation. And um, the reason I say that is because Bill came into the field in a really funny couple of ways. And people were not friendly at all and you know assumed the worst and so forth. And it shows you kind of how things work to discredit people. And so forth. It was almost like a machine, like, chugged into place. Well, there,
3: I mean, and and to be honest, also, another problem we face is what the UFO community does to itself.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. There are people, I guarantee, who were on somebody else's payroll, and they don't really believe a word they say, but they say nasty things about, like, for example, if you make an error. you mean, like, Philip Clash? Well, he was definitely on the payroll. There was no question. Um, I we've become really good friends with one of his colleagues, Bill Scott, uh, who was his colleague at Aviation Weekly, and I think it was just known that Class was there to what Bill? Bill would know how to politically class say was CIA,
1: uh, Class was CIA. He was basically listening post, CIA. That was that was his role,
0: and I mean, everybody knew that, it and respected him for that. It. Yeah, I mean he
1: that's and he would go to UFO conferences. He'd have his little. Instant camera or a little brownie Hawkeye hanging around his neck, he'd take his pictures, and people knew who he was, was the official debunker. And he was the guy, he called us, he called me, um, he called the motion picture company when, when Corso uh, got into contact with them, basically saying, you don't want to do this, why are you doing this, and he's, he's this, he's that. And so people knew that.
0: yeah. Well, yeah, and he—he's also known who he just—he tried to destroy. Uh, I'm trying to think of what he's most famous. Well, for. one one
3: of the things that he did, which is just astounding to me, was that he literally tried to offer five, ten thousand dollars to one of Travis Walton's friends and one of the key witnesses ah. who was on that logging crew. Wow! If like, that guy like, would yeah. go, if that guy would go public and deny and say yeah. that all. The whole thing was a fake. And as everybody pointed out, Philip Klass didn't have $10,000 sitting around. So where did the money come from? The answer
0: is your
3: tax dollars at work.
0: Right. Right. Um, He was tasked with – I'm trying to think of who he was tasked with destroying, and it it keeps flipping in my head and flipping out again. Um, And it wasn't Travis Walton, but – oh, I know. I know what it was. It was one of Bruce McAbee's... Um, Bruce McAbee kind of explained this. I believe it was the J... No, 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 no. The J-A-L sighting, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, you J-A-L. Know the J-A-L Yes. Oh,
3: that's so interesting that you mentioned that. That's the sighting that caused me to join MUFON. Ah, it's one of the greats. One 1628,
1: 1628. of the greats. 1628.
0: So, but, but Philip Class even as a military guy or a mathematician or whatever he uh, engineer whatever he said he was this is such a stupid stupid excuse and because philip class said it people believed it it had to do with not not shining off the wings of birds but what one of those really stupid things and and bruce Maccabee just destroyed his argument you know it was it was extremely lame for such an important case and everybody just walked away and said okay swamp gas it's cool.
3: You know, I had the pleasure of physically throwing him out of <laughs> the 1995 MUFON symposium in Seattle. Wow! Because How- he was illegally tape recording the proceedings.
0: So, what did you do? This is so cool.
3: I, I, what? Somebody came to me and told me that Philip class is taping, and they had signs up everywhere saying you can't tape. Mm-hmm. So. I walked over there, and he was sound asleep at the end of a row, and he had his tape recorder in his hand, and I could see that two buttons were depressed, Mm -hmm. and I could see the red light. Yeah. I grabbed the MUFON photographer, and I said, get your camera all ready. I want you to take a picture of this guy, and when the flash goes off, step out of the way. Wow. So (laughs) he did it. When the flash went off, this was so... This shows you what kind of character Philip Class really was because he does this startle response, mm-hmm. still hanging onto his tape recorder. And it must have been like three or four seconds later, he tosses the tape recorder into the air really lamely and it lands on the carpet in front of me. And he goes, Oh, it must have landed on the record button. Oh, my. Really? I was security for the event, and I said that ain't going to work. You're out of here. Wow! So
0: and I, then and then and then then what happened? He went out.
3: He well, the, the people in charge of Mufon they they said it was okay to let him in back in if he would lock up his tape recorder. But I I read him in the riot act out there. I told him I said if you persist in doing this or you go back in there, I said I'm going to call the King County Sheriff's Office and swear out a complaint against you and have you cited for trespassing.
0: Wow! So, it, I, I, one of my proudest moments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a shame they don't give out medals in the UFO field because well, they're,
3: they, yeah. They did print the photo in the MUFON Journal uh, several months later.
0: Well, can can we find? I'm, I'm I'm all stepped up. Can we find it online? Do you think? I don't can? know.
3: It would have been later on in in uh, what was it? 1995. That's when we had the symposium in Seattle.
0: I'll have to see because I, I haven't. No, but you know what? Anybody who's got them physically could scan it in. And I, I have yeah, a bunch. I still have a bunch. Um, you know, there are really good people online. You have to just find them. But they are scanning in all this stuff and making it available to everybody.
3: But there, um, are, there is, there's so many things, though. Like, I, you know, I, I guess I'll just have to say it. Because for me, last year, uh, the the worst thing that happened last year was the Roswell Slides debacle. Mm-hmm. That made me so angry. I am still angry about that. And I will freely state, I'm angry at MUFON. I could Wh- not, why? I why? could not believe that they put Jaime Mossan on as one of the major speakers at the symposium right after the Roswell Slides debacle. Well, I, maybe I, I was, I was he, appalled by that.
0: I was going to say, maybe he had been in the works for, for a year. Before Maybe, that. but they
3: can always find other speakers. And, and I just don't think that was a very good idea.
0: Well, last week, for anybody yeah, interested. We should have had
3: you come in here last week, James.
0: Yeah, last week we had uh, Tom Carey and, and Don Schmidt, and they are miserable about this. They they really, truly They are I believe, two of my
3: favorite people in this entire field. Yeah. I have presented with them at Roswell, and I have not had a chance to talk to them. Since all of this transpired, but I would point out one thing. I and if they went through this story, did they mention that they had to sign non-disclosure agreements? Yeah, of course. Oh yeah,
0: sure. But yeah. they See, were, but they were tricked. They were given the wrong materials, not the same materials everybody else got.
3: Exactly.
1: They did it, a on them. They did a switcheroo on the slides. They gave yeah. them slides that had been altered.
3: And that guy, uh, was it Adam Dew, Adam Day? Something, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. One who originally, produced slides. Yeah. you know who I think the real villain of this piece is? Yeah. Is who? someone who hasn't been named. I would bet money that Adam has an attorney. And that attorney told him how to orchestrate this entire thing. Well,
0: maybe he's an attorney himself.
3: And I would like, to, and the biggest thing, this will never be satisfactorily resolved in my mind until I know, where all the money went and see nobody has been able to say that.
0: And and where did the money where was it collected? For the conference? The, the, at, the, at the conference. The big yes. reveal?
3: Yeah. And yes, who and my fifteen dollars was in there? There was a pay per view, ah.
2: right? Wasn't there like a pay yes, the, the
3: online streaming. And I'm still angry about that.
0: I want my fifteen dollars back. <laughs> wow. Well, and you should, in fact, have it. They should have refunded it immediately once they found that. Well, actually, they didn't say it was no, going to be they, true.
3: They knew that it was a hoax in advance.
0: Yeah, I'm being an idiot.
3: Yeah. But this wow. is an unfortunate thing because, you know, how do we overcome
0: that? You know, we, we, are, we are our own worst enemies at times. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, we're also our own best friends because people like yourself are helping to get the word out that, that slide story besmirched some good people, but it exposed some bad people. So it actually will be a good thing at the end because there, these, there these no guys way. kept on writing. They've written another book since then, The Children yes, of Roswell. I'm, I'm very proud
3: yeah. of the fact they, they've included yeah. part of the June story in that book. Oh, good. And I'm very happy about that. I'll tell you another thing I am happy about in that story. I am really happy... That, that ad hoc group of researchers got together and did such a terrific job yes. investigating the slides. And those people deserve a lot of praise. Yeah, for they did a
0: quick first class investigation. Yeah, yeah. And see, uh, Carrie and Schmidt wouldn't have had any qualms had they had the real slide. They would have known exactly what they were working with. But they were under the impression they were working with a different piece of slide. Or just an obscured, you know, obscured part, and all the, they just had no idea. They were they were ambushed, basically. And I, their I, reputations... I, yeah,
3: yeah, I wish we could investigate more into yeah. the ground of the people who set this all
0: up. Well, you know what? You're the guy to do it, I bet, because yeah, you I have... Mean,
1: supposedly, they disappeared. And so what I'd love to know from
0: Hamim Musan. who will never tell you the truth anyway, but I'd
1: love to know from Hamim Musan Thanks. where the money went.
0: Yeah. Yes, well, we we can have some fun, but we are basically out of time. And oh, next we are, weekend, okay. yeah, next weekend um, is our 36th anniversary and also our ninth anniversary because we were married on leap year day. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and so we're going well, to talk be, about, be... we're having a party and the party's going to yeah. go on as long as we want it to. And we are invited, by the way. Yes, you're all invited. I'm hoping that former guests will call, and I may have to beat the bushes a little, but maybe, James, you could listen and call, and yeah, we could revisit, calling, say hello. yeah, you know, because you're, you've are you got a book, and you know what it's like to get on the radio and ask people to, to buy your book, and it never hurts to ask another day, so. That's true. Yeah, so maybe if okay. you're not doing anything, you can, Yeah. And then we have other guests coming up, yes, after that.
1: Right. Well, next week is our anniversary show, our anniversary and a show. And the week after that is Tim Four.
0: That's and, right. The Reap, yes.
1: Uh, right. And I'll be on the air with Tim Beckley on Thursday. So everybody will listen to that show at 10 o'clock Thursday. I, uh, Wait, I'll tell, you, go, I'll, tell
0: you, I'll tell you more. Because um, Tim, we moved Tim, right? And yes, then we was have March seven. Okay, we have Tom T Moore after that. I think that's we we're 14. not positive. Okay, so forget it. That's I think that's not secure. So Tim Schwartz, okay. March seventh.
3: Oh, that's March where we got to.
0: Yeah, because I've asked and other people, and yeah. Okay. Good night. Okay, so, there you go. Stay
1: tuned for Heather Wade, everybody, or well, Heather Wade comes up next on the Dark Matter Digital Network. We are your co-hosts, Bill. That's me and Nancy.
0: And thank you to Chris, Mr. Brown. And thank you to Angel for letting us perch ourselves here on the old PSN network, PSN Dash Radio.
1: Uh, thank you, James Clarkson, who is our guest.
0: That's right. Telling us
1: um, some great stories. Good luck on your book. We thank are your you. co-host, Bill and Nancy Burns, broadcasting live from Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Salisbury, Village, Pennsylvania. Wishing everybody a wonderful week. We will see you next week, your own 3 anniversary party, Yay. right here at Future Theater and please join us. Everybody, have a wonderful week. Good night from Future Theatre and PSN Radio and Dark Matter Digital Network.
0: Good night.